haven't been there for a while. I think it's the most inspiring chapter of Revelation is Revelation chapter 5. can get into chapter 21 and 22 and read about heaven and that's pretty good but chapter 5 is the the victorious uh, march uh, over all of evil and it's the just the march of victory in Revelation chapter 5 and do love this chapter and pray that uh, we're, we're going to try, I think we can get it done, uh, do the whole chapter tonight, <clears throat> but uh, some of you just fell out of your chair passing out. <clears throat> All right, got a little lightheaded, did you? <laughs> but <clears throat> it it. Really, we need to keep it all together, uh, and so that's what we're going to do. Try to, in the context, it's just good to do the whole chapter and pray that it can be a help. And and when you walk out of here tonight, be encouraged by uh, it. Whatever comes, whatever happens, you know, we can we can sit around and and be doomsdayers all day long, and and uh, let the let the craziness of the world, you know. Uh, cause you to walk in discouragement and anger and all of that or you can read revelation chapter 5 and you can raise your hand and and praise the lord for our savior and his victory that's already won and we we need to walk that way and and uh you know it's it's just different you guys some of you are probably sitting here wondering if if the Broncos are still winning or if they're losing, you know, well I, I want you to know that this battle, even though it's in the future, is already won, and we're on the victorious side, and we can live that way and be encouraged, and uh, <clears throat> and I pray that you are as we go through this. So, the Lamb of God, you might call it. I I even titled it "Who is Worthy," "Who is Worthy," and. Uh, we start with verse 1, and in verses 1 and 2, we see a question that's asked, and I saw on the right hand of him, and that's God the Father that John uh, sees at the throne here, and I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. Now, if you remember, we're not talking about a book like this. This isn't the kind of books that they had at the time. It would have been a scroll, and so it, it would have been rolled up like this instead. And and on this, then there was seven seals that had sealed this up, and and so that was the book. And so it was rolled up in a scroll like that, and and uh, it was written on the on the inside. It was written on the back side of it, on both sides, and <clears throat> and so he sees the. Uh, he sees the book that's written, and <clears throat> and I saw a strong angel, uh, and I, I'm not sure exactly um, what he saw in reference to a strong angel, but one that was very powerful, probably one that was very menacing, and and um, one that you knew that you were not going to approach, and 
And uh, But here, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? This is heard all over heaven and, and loud enough for all of the angels and all of those who were in heaven at this time that we know that the church is there now, the body of believers, the 24 elders representing all of the, the believers of the day and all of the angels that are there. And, and the question is brought up and by this one powerful angel, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereupon. <clears throat> you know, I, 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 there are some questions that I don't uh, have any answers to. I wonder, too, on this. As we, as we look at this, we see John's reaction here in verses 3 and 4, but <clears throat> it seems to me that this question that was asked in heaven must have been heard even here on earth. I, I believe that during the tribulation period, there are, are going to be many things that are going on that it's hard for us to imagine and, and hard for us to comprehend. But uh, the voices from heaven, I do believe that uh, here it tells us that no man in heaven, nor uh, so there's no one in heaven, there's no one on earth, there's no one under the earth that was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And so not even to look at it, and so there is no one there to do this. And, and then I find this interesting in verse 4, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. I, I, I wrote it in the, in, on the side of my Bible here in, in the notes, and why would John be weeping? I, I wonder... I mean, when, when he opens this, we see that uh, when, when he does open this, then we'll see this in chapter 6, that <clears throat> uh, it's not good things that are going to be opened. And, and so I wonder, and it tells us that I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And, and why would John be weeping? And I think maybe he would be weeping because he's thinking much like we would be, that does it look now like maybe Satan has the victory? Does it look like if no one is able to uh, open the scrolls up and, and to uh, <clears throat> bring on the, the tribulation and judge the unrighteous and, 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 and make things equal and make things right and make things righteous and good? And, and, and maybe John sees this and sees that no one is able to do this, and so it causes him to weep and and thinking that, well, maybe Satan is going to win. Maybe there is no righteous judgment. I, I don't know. I speculate a lot. But I would say that's probably much of what was going on in his mind. And, and so he's weeping. And <clears throat> then it tells us, verse 5, and verses 5, 6, and 7, we see the lamb is described. And one of the elders said unto me, weep not, stop crying. That's exactly what it was. It was a command, and, and one, I would think, that was uh, exclamatory in that saying, hey, quit. You just need to quit crying. Stop weeping. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. In Genesis 49, 
verses 9 and 10, we know that it's there that Jacob blessed his sons before he died, and, and it was there that referring to the tribe of Judah, that uh, he was referring to Christ and his rejection by Israel, his crucifixion and his return. And, and so we know, talking about Jesus himself, and then Isaiah in Isaiah 11, verse 1 and verse 10, refers to the root of David, the, the, the shoot that comes from, from the, uh, uh, the stump, you might say. And Jesse was David's father, and so Isaiah prophesied the 300 years after David. And this reference here in chapter 5 and verse 5 is the answer to the prophecy that we see in Isaiah chapter 11. And the shoot comes out of the stump, and the royal house of Judah has been defeated by Babylon, but Christ will come again and reign as the rightful successor of David. And so here we see that, hey, there's no reason to be weeping, John. We see here that the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. You see, only Christ is the one that is, has been able to conquer and been victorious in being able to open the book. And we're going to see how he came about that victory and how it is that he can conquer that. And, and it's only Christ that's worthy and qualified to break the seals and open the book. And so he goes on in verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne... So right in the middle of the throne and the four beasts and, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. So in the middle of the heavenly scene, here stood a lamb as it had been slain, as it says. And so we know it's because of that power and the... the uh, uh, doing what he has done by going to that cross and having been crucified, and that is what it's talking about. And, and here he is, one who is standing now, and, and, and in the midst of this, you have the throne, and you have the four beasts, and then surrounding the four beasts, you have all of the, the, the uh, believers of the church age that are all surrounding the throne, and then on the other, on, and surrounding them are the multitudes and multitudes of angels that are around, and there is the Lamb who's standing in the middle of it. I, I love this. And it stands as, as he had been slain and having been slaughtered or taken to that cross of Calvary and having seven horns. The horns always represent power. And so here, in the, and the number seven represents completion and perfection. And so it's a perfect authority. God has that perfect authority. Jesus has, the Lamb has that perfect authority and all authority and seven eyes. And, and so not only is he omnipotent, that's what seven horns represent, but the seven eyes show us that he's also omniscient and he sees everything. He knows it all. And which are the seven spirits of God and representing the, the Holy Spirit of God. We've seen that and, and understand and know that that uh, from Isaiah, that's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. And, and so here, Jesus himself endued with all the same uh, power of the Holy Spirit of God, who, who also is omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent. And, and it tells us that sent forth into all the earth. 
showing us the deity of Jesus here. We have God the Father on the throne. We have God, God the Son as the, the Lamb of God who's standing in the midst of the throne. And now we have God the Holy Spirit. And so here we have the perfection of the Trinity and, and we see how blessed it is. And then I love the picture. Can you see this as we're standing there and he's surrounded in the throne and, and it tells us then in verse 7, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. So he walks to the Father and he takes that scroll out of his hand and that was sitting upon the throne. And then we see the worship of the Lamb through the rest of the chapter. And we had taken the book, the four beasts. Those four beasts are angels. And so we saw them described earlier in chapter 4. We see that they also represent Jesus Christ in the four Gospels. And so we understand that those beasts, those uh, living beings are, are angels. We know and understand that. The four and twenty elders, it, representing all of the, the, those in the church age, if you recall when we were in chapter 4, we know and understand that uh, when Solomon set up the, the priestly line to serve in the temple, that 24 elders would, or the 24 priests would come in and serve. They would rotate out and then all of them would end up, all of the priests at one time would end up at some point in time serving in the temple and knowing and understanding that that represents the believers today that all of us at some point in time will sit at the table, sit at the throne of God. And so representing all of the believers of the church age, the 24 elders, and so here we have the four beasts, four and 20 elders fell down before the Lamb. A true sign of devotion and humility and submission you know, I, I think of this, and, and, I, and I picture this as, as the Lamb is standing there and, and, and people falling prostrate down upon the ground and, and worshiping God and in humility and submission, and, and really that's what we ought to be doing today. We truly ought to be submissive to Him and, and truly seeking His will for our lives and seeking only to please Him with with everything that we are, all parts of our being. And, and so they fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. So here, those of us even that aren't very musically inclined, obviously it, gets to, it shows us that we'll be able to play something. We'll also be able to sing, Jeff. Won't that be great? Me and you. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be great. <clears throat> think about what we can have in every one of them, and, and that's talking about the elders. It's not talking about the beasts. You need, to re, you need to remember that Jesus Christ did not die on that cross to redeem the angels. The angels were a created being more powerful than humankind. They had one time where they had the choice to either follow God or follow the devil. And many of them chose to follow the devil. Now, there, there's not more that are choosing still today. They've all been created. They're, they do not reproduce. It tells us that in the scripture. They're not given to marriage as human beings are. They do not understand redemption. It tells us that as the Old Testament prophets wrote and questioned things. And it says that the angels also looked down and 
and question some of those things. They do not understand redemption. And so Jesus did not die for the angels. Jesus Christ died for this creation, mankind, and that's it. And so these angels, being the created beings that they are, and, and so these four were, were definitely special ones that, that surrounded the very throne of God. And, and it tells us that they, did, they do worship God for His power and for His glory and for His honor. They don't understand everything that we do. And, and so every one of us, as the church age, will have harps and golden vials of odors or incense. And the incense is that, 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 that uh, uh, wonderful smell that God has, and it's the prayer of the saints. Isn't it amazing how we battle so much with prayer, and it's something that we'll, we'll be doing for all eternity? And so no wonder Satan hates it. No wonder he tries to keep us distracted from praying as we should. And, and so here we see that now you're getting a picture of the throne that's going on. And, and they, the 24 elders, the church age, they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. And that is emphasized, worthy art thou, O God, is what they are saying, to take the book and to open the seals thereof. And why? For thou wast slain, you were crucified, and hast redeemed us. That word redeem means to buy or to purchase, and, and he has purchased us to God by the blood, his blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. That's why it's such a, it's such a falsity that that the, the world would want to claim that, that Christianity is it, being anti-woke is racist. Christianity is, is, is the only thing out there that truly is not racist. And so here we see that Jesus Christ gave himself and shed his blood on that cross for every kindred, every tribe, every tongue, every, every different language that's spoken, every group of people, every kind of nation that's out there Jesus Christ died for them. Imagine. I, I don't know. Maybe somebody did and they just chose not to listen. But those terrorists on 9-11, you know, for years they lived among us. You know, and they trained and they just lived like they were just being normal people and normal Americans. And I wonder if anybody ever gave them a track. I wonder if anybody ever tried to sit down with them and just give them the gospel. What could it have done if just one of those men would have trusted Christ as their Savior? I don't know. Maybe somebody did. Maybe they rejected it. But, oh, how important it is. We need to understand that Jesus Christ died for them just like he did us. And, oh, how joyful we ought to be in listening to his call. And so then it goes on, and not only has he redeemed us, but has made us and has made us unto our God kings and priests. All believers of the church age, believers will be kings and they'll be priests. Remember, uh, Peter even said something about that over in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he's made us 
Our God has made us kings and priests, and we shall reign on earth. Million, a thousand years, it tells us. Thousand years we'll reign with him here on earth. The millennial kingdom is what they call that. After the tribulation period is over and we'll reign with him. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about. This is what, this is what I love in the, in the worship of, of God, the angels and the, and the creatures. And, and I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. I, I, there, it, it's innumerable is what he's trying to say here, that, that there is more to, than, than we can count, and, and there's no way to, to give a good count of all of them. And, and this is what it says, saying with a loud voice. Imagine the power. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, like, I, I know there for a while the Arrowhead Stadium had the record for the, the, the decibels of, of a cheering crowd. I, I think they had the record for a while. Now, I can't remember how many decibels it was. It's, it's something crazy. that, and, and it's probably been broken somewhere else by now. Who knows? But you, you think of the noise, and, and that's just people screaming. But here, think about an innumerable number of people and angels who are in one unified voice saying the same thing. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The power of the voices in unison, I just cannot imagine what kind of noise that would be, but... In, even in that, showing the very power of God, his riches, his deserving of all, his wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. you got to love it. And every creature which is in heaven, this is the part that I love. It comes all the way to the end. And every creature, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. You, you know the thing I can't but help think? Go, go back, and, and I know we've looked at this many times, but Philippians chapter 2, and look at verses 9 through 11, and here it tells us that, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, Jesus, right? And given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You, you know, this changes my way of thinking on, on certain things. Sometimes I think in my mind that, that it, it'll come at the great white throne is when those that are unbelievers will bow their knees and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But 
that this just seems to, to tell me that maybe this takes place before that. And it seems to me like even in the beginning of the tribulation period that Jesus and, and the noise of, of the heavenlies who are praising to God and worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb. And here it tells us that every creature, those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, I believe that not only is it all the creatures, not all, and it's all of the it's all of the human beings, okay? Nature in itself will be praising God, but with the voices we see here that it will be those who have been saved in the tribulation period. It's going to be those who are unsaved living through the tribulation period. But you know what else it is? Oh, I believe that it's the, the demons that are chained in everlasting darkness that are held right now in Jude, it tells us. I believe they're going to be praising Jesus. I believe Satan himself is going to be on his knees praising Jesus for who he is, knowing he's going to lose the battle. How powerful is that to think that every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and this is taking place before all the tribulation period. How good is that? That's our Savior. That's the one that we serve and the one that loves us, the one that helps us, the one that here we are trying to crawl out of, of uh, uh, things that, that we have no control over and, and, and stewing over things that we have uh, uh, no reason to be stewing over them or anxious over those and, and, and all the cares and considerations that are trying to drag us down. And here he is showing us, even in the tribulation period, showing them that he is worthy. He is worthy. He's our king. He's our savior. I think it's one of the greatest chapters in all of the book of the Bible to remember who our savior is. Is he big enough to take care of our problems today? Yeah, he's far bigger than that. Can he take care of the knotheads that are trying to destroy our country? Yes, he can. Can, can he take care of the issues that's going on in your life? Absolutely, whatever they may be. He's our Savior. He's our King. He's our Lord. Let us praise Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Revelation chapter 5. I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for saving us. And thank you for giving us this chapter knowing that not only do we serve a risen Savior, but we serve a victorious King. And so, Father, I pray that you help us to walk out of here tonight being encouraged, knowing that you are far bigger than any problems we may have. And that, Father, you just give us the direction and guidance and peace, and we'll just follow you and do whatever it is that you want us to do. I pray you bless each one who's here. Those who are listening, pray, Father, that you'll do a work in our hearts. Use us to touch someone else's heart make a difference for eternity bless us this week guide us and use us thank you father for all you do in jesus name amen